Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. It's Thursday, July 2nd here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, another hot, sweltering day in store for us, it looks like. The entire weekend, I think, the July 4th weekend is going to be hot and sweltering, so we've got that to look forward to. Uh, this episode is brought to you by CCS Group, Custom Concrete Specialists. CCS Group is a leading expert on safety and longevity of concrete structures. Their focus is on superior customer service, quality materials, and workmanship. Nationwide services include structural liners, carbon fiber technology, exterior restoration, and structural assessments. Uh, you can find them at ccsgrouponline.com. Cheyenne, Josh, they're, they're guys that are refurbishing concrete grain elevators. Uh, and we have lots of those. And uh, they're all deteriorating, so I'm sure they're incredibly busy. Uh, but they do an incredible job. They work safely. Uh, this is the kind of company that you want to have on your site if that's something that you need done. Uh, also being brought to you by Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group. The Nebraska On-Site Safety and Health Consultation Program assists employers in providing their employees with a safe and healthy workplace by helping to identify and correct safety and health hazards in general industry and construction before they become dangerous and expensive problems. The program is available to any business that has less than 250 employees on-site or 500 nationwide. And remember, this is a free service, absolutely free on-site consultation. Uh, Jim Cover and the folks, we used to call this the 21D program. That's the, the reference to the paragraph in the Occupational Safety and Health Act that basically authorized consultation. Uh, so when I was with OSHA, we referred to them as 21D. I'm not sure anybody knew what that was, but people understand free consultation. So give Jim a call. Um, you can find him, you know, just Google Nebraska Department of Labor Safety or give Jim a call, 402 471 4717. And then I'd like to welcome Medical Enterprises, um, also a sponsor of the program. Medical Enterprises is a pioneer on the national level in occupational and medical health services. So they do mobile services. I know they do drug testing. They do respiratory protection fit testing. They do audiology for hearing conservation. Um, they excel in providing their customers from a private business and industrial organizations with professional service and quality program designed to give a total solution to their occupational and medical needs. So Lou, Beth, Sean, all the folks at Medical Enterprises, thank you guys for your support. You can find them at medicalenterprises.com. My guest today is Tanner Grieve, not Greaves, <laughs> right? Uh, yes, just, just Singular, not plural. Singular. Uh, thanks for being here, man. Uh, Tanner is with EAD Engineering uh, here in Omaha. Is EAD headquartered here in Omaha? Uh, yes. Uh, we got the our headquarters is here, and then we've got another office in Memphis. Memphis, um, Tennessee? Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. nice. And then we've actually uh, recently started trying to expand out to North Carolina as well, so... And so you're just looking for vacation destinations, <laughs> or how did you how did you pick Memphis and North Carolina? Uh, so um, Kellogg's is one of our really big clients, um, and so they've got a big plant down there. Gotcha. Uh, so we do a lot of work with them, and so it just kind of made sense to kind of put some roots down rather than sending people back and forth constantly. Just you know, a little more cost effective. That nice. Way, so oh, that makes sense. Awesome. Yeah. And so so Tanner, and I, you and I met probably two years ago, maybe uh, at a kind of at a conference, I believe. And, and we talked a little yep. bit about you are an engineer mm -hmm. and your expertise is in machine guarding and controls and things like that. And so we talked briefly about that. And now you are with EAD Engineering and you are with their controls group. 
Yep. And you guys are doing some uh, machine guarding risk assessment and strategies for helping employers guard their equipment, which is, uh, yep. in my opinion, as a safety consultant, is a huge gap. I mean, that is something that we desperately need here in this area. Uh, and I, we, I'm really glad that you guys are doing this. I wanted to introduce you to everybody. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you guys are doing at EAD. All right. So a little bit about myself first. I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska, so I am a Nebraska native. Uh, and then I went to school out in Chicago, got my mechanical engineering degree, and then I somehow ended up as a controls engineer. So not really sure how that came to be, but uh, yeah, it, no, uh, that's it's cool. been a pretty good fit. I actually enjoy it a lot. So um and then about six months into my first job as a controls engineer, I started to get involved with machine safety stuff. I took a um, Rockwell safety training course through TUV. So that one does come with a certification. So I'm sure. technically a functional safety technician. Nice. Um, and really all that means is that I've demonstrated, you know, knowledge and, mm -hmm. you know, understanding of safety standards and how to apply them. Yeah, man, very cool. So, and so um, mechanical engineer. Yep. Um, in Chicago, what what school is that? Do you mind? Yeah, sharing? so it's Illinois Tech. Oh, nice. Um, the only reason I didn't mention it is a lot of people outside of Illinois haven't heard of it. Um, it's a smaller little engineering school mm -hmm. on the south side of Chicago, uh -huh. pretty close to the White Sox Stadium. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, Which is not Wrigley. No, it's the uh, the other one. I think it. So it was U.S. Cellular at the time. Now it's okay. something kind of dumb. I don't know what they changed okay. the name okay. while I was there. It's pretty stupid now, but. Uh, I guess, sorry if you're a White Sox fan. Okay, no, um, that's okay, man. Probably not many White Sox fans in the area. <laughs> I think not. a lot of Cubs fans, but. so Okay, and so you're from yeah. Omaha originally? Yep. Okay, nice. And so it's good to be back? Yeah, so what the, I mean, way I ended up back here was just after graduation, I moved back home looking for jobs. I hadn't had anything lined up yet. Ended up getting a job down in Lincoln, and then uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. We are engaged now. Uh, she lived in Michigan. We met in school. She moved down and then got a job in Omaha, so we were kind of splitting the commute. Now we're both in Omaha, and it's been nice. a pretty good fit. So Good for you, man. And, so, how I ended and up how here. long have you been with EAD? Uh, just over a year and a half. Nice. Um, and so uh, were they doing machine guarding, this control work, before you arrived, or is this something that you've participated in developing this group? Um, so they haven't specifically done just you know machine safety as its own separate entity. It was kind of always just wrapped into you know, controls projects like, okay, we're putting in a new, you know, new control system and there's this outdated safety system. We'll just upgrade it. Um, but since I've been here, I've kind of started to try to push more of the, you know, the actual process that you're supposed to go through for machine safety. Cause it's not as simple as, you know, just tacking on some new guarding or new safety sensors as long right. if they aren't implemented properly and the documentation's not there. Um, then you can run into some problems down Absolutely. the road if there's any failures or anything like that. So, right, right. Excellent. Oh, that's really, I mean, you know, this is something that uh, is really uh, near and dear to my heart. As an OSHA, as a former OSHA compliance officer, as an OSHA person, um, we have very, we, we have the basic machine guarding training. Mm -hmm. uh, we were actually, the course that I took in machine guarding was actually taught by Rockwell personnel, as you mentioned, Rockwell. Yep. They're kind of the, uh, you know, the authority on machine guarding in large part, or, mm -hmm. you know, at least the recognizable authority yep. for many folks. Um but uh, we, you know, I was always intimidated by the stuff that you're describing, you know, the control aspects, the reliability aspects. Mm -hmm. I could tell whether a machine was, you know, if it's wide open or if it has you know, fixed guarding or some of the 
different types of guarding that we're familiar with. But mm-hmm. when we get into this, the, the part that you're talking about, yep. the controls, the reliability, this, you know, this circuitry, uh, that is stuff that very few people are really good at or comfortable with. And I think a lot of people have some misconceptions about. Yeah. Well, because the hard part too, is that's the part that's more invisible to, you know, someone just kind of walking by looking at it, you know, they'll see, okay, wow, you know, there's a light curtain. So clearly there's some safety on it, but if it's not implemented properly through the proper, you know, safety devices and there's not, the, you know, proper arch- circuit circuit architecture, um, you can run into problems down the road if there's a fault and, you know, it doesn't fail safely or anything like that. So we'll get into that in a little bit. Exactly. Too. So we're, so we're talking about, so we're not talking about, you're not going to go out there and weld a piece of expanded metal onto a, onto a machine. What we're talking about are light curtains, interlocks, yep. Presence sensing devices, those types of things. And so, and so, right. I mean, there's obviously more to machine safety than just putting on, you know, pieces of metal. Um, however, that is certainly part of it. Um, you know, there's actually a hierarchy of safety measures you're supposed to employ on a machine. The first one being um, just safe machine design. So if there's an area on a machine that is dangerous but doesn't ever need, like no one ever needs to access it, then, you know, it's fine to just, you know, put some guarding over it, cover it up and leave it. But if it's an area that people have to access frequently, then uh, you'll need to implement like a light curtain or some other safety measure that um, right. suits the application. Absolutely. And, th- and that, that's really interesting. And I think, so that's part of the risk assessment that you provide. You offer yep. a risk assessment so you can make that determination. And as you said, you can refer to the hierarchy of control and how we should be guarding these things or what the options are. I mean, if you look at the OSHA standards, which are obviously very limited, but the general guarding standard, the 1910-212, just says use one or more methods of guarding, and it, and it kind of leaves you there. And I mean, yep. for the majority of employers that I work with, man, they, you know, they try, but they, are, they don't have any expertise in this typically, and they are oftentimes either mm-hmm. lost or just fumbling through this process. Yeah, and one thing I've seen too is a lot of times the OSHA standards lean heavily on the international safety standards um, that were developed by that TUV Rhineland organization that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So they kind of put together these you know standards and then the governing bodies at different countries like OSHA, for example, will then you know take information from that and apply it to their own. So. Okay. Um, Something that we would offer, like you said, risk assessment would be going through, you know, analyzing a machine. Uh, first, I guess, you know, identifying what the hazards on that machine are and then determining how dangerous or the risk associated with that hazard, which just means how dangerous it is. You're just kind of ranking it. You're giving it a risk assessment code of some sort. Or? Right. So the things you look at would be um, you first you look at the severity of an injury that you could get from that hazard. So, you know, if you. I guess the two main categories for that would be if it's reversible or irreversible injury. So, you know, a scrape or a bruise reversible. So it's, you know, lower severity versus anything that can't be replaced. So if you cut a finger off or, you know, you die or go blind, something like that, that's obviously very non-reversible and so more severe. Uh, Beyond that, then you look at frequency. So how often are people accessing that dangerous point on the machine? And if it's, you know, this is where subjectiveness kind of plays a part and kind of just expertise. And you need a lot of, you know, different people who work on the machine, you know, maintenance operators, everyone kind of collaborating together to really determine how frequently this hazard gets access. So, you know, you have to decide what's 
frequent and infrequent to you? Is every hour frequent or is, you know, every minute frequent? So there's, there's some subjectiveness right. in there, subjectiveness Absolutely. there, but you have to um, ultimately determine if it's an infrequently accessed hazard or a frequently accessed. Uh, beyond that, the final level is the probability of avoidance, which is if you were exposed to a you know dangerous hazard, how likely is it that you can get away from it? So if it's a super slow moving roller or a super slow moving you know robot arm, and if you see it coming, you could probably get out of the way. But if it's a super fast, you know, saw blade or something quick that if you are near it, you're going to get hurt, then it's you know, pretty unlikely you'll avoid it. So mm-hmm. those are the three main things you look at for each hazard. And that ultimately determines the level of risk, which determines how safe or the type of circuit you need to actually implement okay. as part of your safety, okay. machine safety measures. So. so much more nuanced and much yeah. more complicated. I think most people give credit to. Think, yeah. So a lot of times honestly. with people that I've talked to, they're just like, well, you know, we got the e-stop, we got our light curtain. Um, we got a pull cord. Yeah. Like some type they, of an emergency pull cord A lot of times people just, I've seen, they just kind of put these safety devices on a machine without really a full, you know, in-depth analysis on if that is a, the proper, you know, device to use and B, if they're even using it correctly. Um, Cause another you know, thing I think in one of the safety standards states that whatever safety measure you put on a machine absolutely cannot impair the efficiency of it. Because if you do that, then it's really, really likely someone's going to either remove it or bypass it. And I've right. seen that a lot too. Absolutely. Just light curtains that are completely unplugged and yeah, they're not doing anything. And <laughs> Oh, I see that all the time. That and actually, think- and it can actually make a machine even more dangerous if someone thinks someone doesn't know it's bypassed and they think they've got that layer of security and then it's not there. They might expose themselves in a different way than they normally would. And that can, you know, lead to, and, lead and, to some accidents. And I think what you so. referred to earlier, I mean, um, you know, the, like the reliability, I mean, uh, is your safety device going to fail safe if it does fail or is it going to fail? I mean, I've seen gates that surrounded equipment that were interlocked and you could open the interlock and the equipment would just continue to run. And they were under the assumption that if the interlock failed, it would fail into a safe mode and the machine would stop. And that just doesn't seem always to be the case. Yeah. And in that specific example, it could be a number of things. It could be, you know, a super old device that probably needs to be replaced, or it just could be, it's not hooked up or uh, it could also be, it's not safety rated. So when you're, when you're looking at, different types of safety devices you want to use to safeguard your machine, like an interlocked gate, for example. I've seen it before where people will just grab like a, you know, standard prox. They'll, you know, put it on their door and then that's it. Problem with that is standard prox usually only has one, you know, signal back and forth. So it's doesn't really have any redundancy built in. And that's a big part of safety circuits. And then um, other problem too is it super um, easy to defeat, right? So any standard proxy is just looking for something to be in the way. So if it's a duct tape, or <laughs> yeah, if it's a super inconvenient guard that you know operators hate dealing with, a lot of times you'll just see them, you know, tape a washer over the front of it, and then it's always on. They'll still close the door, so everything looks good. But if the door is open and you know they're reaching in there, there's not actually any safety provided. So a lot of safety sensors, uh, actual safety rated ones, will come with an RFID target that. Um, the sensor has to see that specific target in order to be made. Otherwise, it 
so you, so you can't put a washer over it is gotcha. what I'm saying. Okay. They're not defeatable. Interesting. I think um, I, I have been in hundreds of facilities over the years, and I don't know enough to evaluate what you've just described. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are, there are certain things that I will recognize, certainly when an employee has done something to defeat a safety device or a guard of some sort, very obvious, and that should be a red flag to every employer when they see that the uh, employees are tampering with the equipment or the mm-hmm. devices in some way. Immediately, yep. that should uh, trigger some type of an investigation. Absolutely. But I don't know enough about it to to verify what you're describing. Mm-hmm. I would think that just about everybody would need you or someone like you, your team, to come in and, and evaluate that the guards that they do have in place, yep. these devices are functioning correctly. I mean, I think I would imagine <laughs> that almost everybody is, is just living, and I use that term specifically, just under the assumption that these things are working correctly. Right. And again, that's kind of the hard part too, especially if you're just looking at the outside of the machine, you won't really know if it's being applied properly unless you open up a panel and can identify the wiring and kind of know what you're looking for. So um, I certainly have experience doing that, just doing more machine safety stuff, but um, the other guys in the controls group as well have you know experience with panel layouts, panel wiring, and simple safety designs as well. So um, together, there's a pretty good, I guess, universal understanding at EAD mm-hmm. of, you know, machine safety and what so, makes it safe. Um, so one of the services you would offer then as your group would go in and, and evaluate what the existing right. safety devices to make sure that they are functioning correctly, they are wired correctly, those types of things. You yeah. can do that for a company. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of the projects I've done actually involve existing safety systems that are already on equipment and going in and reevaluating it and either a upgrading it or making recommendations on nice. you know, upgrades or if it's not applied properly, what they need to do to fix it, things like that. Um, so that would certainly be one aspect of it. Come and do a risk assessment on, you know, existing piece of an equipment either with or without any sort of safety on it. Um, and then, be able to provide a detailed report on what those risks are and risk mitigation strategies. So what types of safety devices would, you know, be applicable, would work and without, or would not reduce, you know, the machine Mm. efficiency. Um, And then another key part that we haven't touched on yet. So besides just, you know, analyzing all the risks and putting these safety measures on, it's also important that there's um, a significant level of validation and documentation that goes with it as well. Mm. Um, and this comes directly from the standards. And the main thing with all the documentation is basically to leave a super long paper trail to kind of cover your butt if there is an accident. Because mm-hmm. even the standard concedes that absolute zero risk is impossible to achieve. So there always, there's always like an understanding that there's some level of risk operating machine sure. when you've got humans involved. The goal here is to obviously make it as hard as possible for someone to accidentally get injured or purposefully um, and that's kind of a different story, mm-hmm. but the idea is... But it does come up. Yeah, so a lot of arguments I'll hear from operators is like, well, I'm never going to stick my hand in there. Like, that would be stupid. <laughs> like, I, I'm not I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to put my hand in there. But there's also been some stories, and you can look them up online too, where people will deliberately injure themselves to get, you know, mm-hmm. uh, workers' comp, and then they can sue. They can mm-hmm. actually sue the company or the manufacturer of the equipment for not using readily available safety technology. Absolutely. And then you can get a big payout right. um, for that. So well, you're, I, not, I, yeah, you're not just protecting against accidents. You also want to protect yourselves against incidents like that. So that's 
Um, that's where the documentation and validation would come in, where if you were to get sued by an employee purposely hurting, hurting themselves, you would have the documentation proving that you did everything you possibly could to protect them, and then it can go a long way to helping you out there. That, that's that. a great observation, man. I, um, you know, OSHA, I think people refer to OSHA for the law. OSHA tells you what you must do. Mm-hmm. They're not particularly good about telling you how to do it, obviously. <laughs> it's tip, they're, they're generally performance standards or regulations rather than prescriptive. But yep. ANSI and some of the others that you've referred to, some of those standards, uh, in addition, they kind of give you guidance on how, but they also address liability issues, just like you've described. I mean, if yep. you can... You can demonstrate that you are complying with the what is the B eleven eleven nineteen or whatever. If you're following some of those guidelines, you have uh, addressed those liability issues. And as a company, that's incredibly important, mm-hmm. as you said, and the documentation to support that you've done those things. Yep, well, that's really impressive, man. And and again, I I know enough about this to know that I don't know enough about this, <laughs> which scares me to some extent because I make yeah. I make OSHA style audits regularly in my in my um, customers facilities and we'll look at guarding as part of that obviously it's a, a very important part of it or mm-hmm. the or the lockout tag out and and some of the exceptions that we know of to to lockout tag out you know that minor uh, minor servicing types of exceptions yep. where you are relying on some alternative some control method mm-hmm. you know and to not have verified that these things are uh, reliable or redundant or fail safe, um, you're really putting yourself at risk. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is a big deal, and most people don't appreciate how big a deal this is. Yeah, so especially um, it goes a long way in proving that, I guess let me back up. So I'm sure people have heard the term SIL rating. So SIL 1, SIL 2, SIL 3 just refers to how you know safe the machine is. It stands for safety integrity level. That just comes from, I think, the U.S. standard. I think Europe uses a different standard. I think it's ISO 13849-1 or something. Anyway, they use a different rating system. They use performance levels, so PL, A, B, C, D, and E. So um, the two, between SIL and performance level, they can kind of uh, translate to each other. So SIL 3 is the safest and Performance level E is the safest, so those are comparable. Um, the reason I say all that is when you're doing the risk assessment, when I was saying you would identify the severity, probability, frequency, and all that, that determines the required level of safety integrity that you need on your system. So a super, super dangerous hazard that you're accessing all the time would need a performance level E or SIL 3 rating. Okay. And so I've seen a lot of times with one of our clients especially, they, they don't understand. So they're just like, yeah, we need SIL 3 which with safety, the higher the safety rating, the more expensive it's going to be. But since they don't do any risk assessment, they just say, you know what, put SIL 3 on it, whatever. They, in a way, are kind of paying for more than, you know, what they really need. If it's like, it's not a dangerous machine. Going above and beyond. what? Yeah, maybe they only needed SIL 2, and the difference between SIL 2 and SIL 3 can be, you know, kind of significant sometimes. So that's another advantage of doing the risk assessment um, is you get to, really determine the amount of safety integrity that you need. But then the purpose of the validation, getting back to that, is to actually prove that you're meeting that safety integrity level. So you're not you can't just, you know, put all this stuff on and then claim, yeah, it's still two or still three. You need to have the documentation showing that um, 
showing that you actually achieved that. And that's done through functional testing, obviously, making sure it works. But then there's an additional level of testing that a lot of people miss. It's called, um, um, I don't remember the exact term for it, but essentially what you're doing is you're deliberately introducing faults into the circuit. So you'll short, you know, your device to make sure that if any sort of electrical fault is, you know, detected, it'll, you know, shut the machine down in a safe way. Um, or you can cut power, make sure it shuts down, you know, do a whole bunch of, you know, fault tests to make sure that even if you, even if your system were to fail, it'll at least fail safely. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's another big part that you don't want your system to fail without anyone knowing. Then you go to activate your interlock door or reach through a light curtain and it's been faulted and no one knows. And then now you're, now you're not protected. So that's kind of why the validation piece is a big part, proving that you can actually meet that cell rating. And that, that's really interesting. And so I've got a couple questions from that. Number one would be, is there uh, a problem with kind of doing that above and beyond? Hey, I want SIL 3 on everything. Does that, other than the cost, I mean, yeah. does that impact the so there's, usability of the equipment in any way? Or is it just purely the level of uh, safety provided by that device or that? So, I mean, absolutely. Anyone can certainly just you know, say, screw it, whatever, give us the best. That's fine. As long as they don't care about the cost. If they're willing to pay for it. If they're willing to pay for it. I mean, most safety devices are rated for that anyways. What it ultimately will come down to is just the amount of devices and other steps you have to take, like protections against common cause failure is a big one. So that, that refers to just like diversity in the parts you're using. So if one of your parts fails, it's unlikely that they'll all fail the same way. Um, so there's that as far as the comment about usability, it's not going to affect it unless you design it improperly. So ultimately it's just going to come down to the types of devices that you're using and the way you're using them. Um, but the only negative then would be perhaps cost. I mean, you've, you've raised a cost maybe unnecessarily if it didn't, wasn't indicated that that level was necessary. Yeah. So I think the example I heard once was think of like a washing machine. So while it's moving, if you were to stick your hand in there, probably would hurt. Maybe, I don't know, but you're not going to like lose an arm. You're not going to die. But now imagine someone putting a whole big, you know, laser scanner, light curtain, all these, you know, extraneous safety features on Mm -hmm. it that you just don't need. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you could do that, but really all you need is like a basic prox. Right. Um, and I know I said not to use those, but, but on, on, under on those the circumstances, on those work. under those circumstances, and the the, the least the least uh, rigorous safety level actually doesn't even require mm-hmm. like dual channel stuff, um, mm-hmm. from my knowledge. So you could just use a simple prox, and that's sure. like something like a washing machine would use. It's right. just a simple sensor verifying the door is shut, right? And when you open it, it stops. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. So it really comes down to you don't want to overdesign things. Certainly you don't want to yeah. spend a whole bunch of money guarding something that no one's ever, ever, there's no danger associated right. with it. Um, but you also want to be sure that there is no danger associated with it. And that's where a risk assessment would come in. Um, and I guess it's also worth mentioning now. So, I mean, I've had people wonder before, like, well, isn't it, you know, up to the machine manufacturer to make sure that the machine they're selling is safe. And yeah, so the, it is, they actually do their own risk assessment um, as they're designing it and developing it and building it. Um, 
And while they have information of all the technical details about their machine that they're making, they can, they can only make certain assumptions about the way it's actually going to get used. Um, and the other thing too, in any sort of plant, you're almost always combining one machine with another machine and they're interacting together. And according to OSHA or one of the standards, I can't remember exactly. It says if you combine two machines, you now become the manufacturer of the combined machine, Mm -hmm. which I found pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's why you would do another risk assessment is to evaluate the way that it actually gets used by your employees and your operators, your maintenance team, you know, everyone who interacts with it and make sure that the hazards presented to those people are, you know, mitigated and yeah, that, that, that is really safe. an interesting so, comment. I appreciate that. Um, the manufacturer really cannot anticipate how their machine is going to be used in every circumstance. And right. so uh, that was common when I was making inspections with OSHA. You know, well, this is how it came to me. Uh, shouldn't they have guarded it? Well, to some degree, they have to have at least anticipated certain things. But mm-hmm. again, they don't have any idea how you're going to actually be using the equipment whether you're going to be combining it with something else, as you said. I mean, that 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 is really a good explanation of that. Yep. We used to just tell them, no, it's your responsibility and shut up and get, you know, get it guarded. I mean, uh, but that's a good explanation. I, yep. I That's interesting. I appreciate that. Yeah, the manufa- yeah, they do have, the manufacturer does have some level of responsibility to it, but as long as they, you know, follow their end, which I don't deal much with the manufacturers. Usually I'm dealing with the end user, um, so doing the risk assessment after it's already been installed and implemented in the facility. So, um, so let me yeah. ask you this: Will will EAD assist with the installation once you've done the assessment and you've identified these risk levels? You've prescribed certain safety devices or uh, you know components for mm-hmm. this, and then do you help install those or do you guide them through that part of the process? Or well, so yeah, it would absolutely um, be something that we would do. Um, I've installed safety systems at my last job a lot. So I'm pretty familiar with, you know, practices on how to do it. And Mm -hmm. especially a big part of it too, outside of just, you know, mounting the physical devices is obviously panel design. Um, And I've, being in controls, I've designed, you know, Mm -hmm. tons of panels. So I think the level of complexity with the installation would play a big part. If it's kind of outside of EAD's ability, in terms of like mechanical install, Mm -hmm. we would just subcontract it out. you know, okay. if we need custom guarding or something, that's not something EAD does. We don't manufacture guarding. Right. But we have some subcontractors and other um, people that we work with that we could submit designs to. They would build it for us, and that would just be, you know, a subcontracted okay. service. But as far as all the technical design, engineering, all that stuff would be uh, through EAD, the control panel through EAD, and we nice. would obviously install and wire that up. Okay. Um, so you're not going to do the risk assessment, prescribe these features, and then walk? Right. You're, yeah, you're going would, to guide them through. You're going to help them do the installation, mm-hmm. do the installation, subcontract that installation if necessary. Mm-hmm. But you will leave them with a finished product. Yeah, we won't essentially hand them just a stack of papers and be like, "All right, right. here's everything here you, you need is, now. Okay, have perfect. fun." Yeah, we would we would actually provide the the actual mitigation Fantastic. solution at the end of the day, and then, uh, like I said earlier, provide that validation and verification. Um, and then in some cases provide startup support. We've done that before too. So after the implementation of the safety system, um, make sure that production really isn't hindered by it or it's not nuisance tripping all the time, mm-hmm. doesn't become a bigger problem than than it was without it. So. Man, that is excellent. I, I, I've got to be honest, as I sit here and listen, <laughs> and we've had this conversation before, but as as you're describing this and, I, and I'm starting to learn more about it, um, I think every one of my clients needs this 
you know, this assistance. I mean, I can't imagine any, there, there, there might be a few companies who have gone through this rigorous a process to mm-hmm. evaluate what they've got in place and make sure that it is reliable. But I, the vast majority of companies cannot have done this. Yeah. And a big, I think part of that too, is just the cost associated with safety. While it can be somewhat high, depending on, like I said, you know, complexity and safety integrity level and all that, the the main argument I hear is, well, there's you know, there's no return on investment, right? It's like, well, it's or no one's gotten hurt on this machine in ten years. We don't really need to spend all this money and upgrade it. Um, but the opposite, the other side of that coin for that argument is, if someone gets hurt and sues, you could potentially pay out, oh. you know, tenfold what you would have, or even just like an OSHA fine, mm-hmm. you could pay out, you know, absolutely significantly more than it would just cost you to just to put the safety on it. So, I think in terms of for some clients who need to need help justifying costs, that's a big one. There is legal expenses and legal fees or OSHA fines. They can significantly outnumber the the cost of right. of just putting and, this in. As you said, and I mean, if you look at it from just purely a risk standpoint, if you have low risk equipment with you know reasonable guarding, it's probably not necessary. But if mm-hmm. you if you have a history of injuries on a piece of equipment, certainly. Or if you have um, higher risk equipment, you know, as we the significance of an injury is significantly higher. Mm-hmm. I think you would want to validate these things. That you want to verify these things, document that process. Um, again, I mean, the cost of an injury, the cost of citations, the cost of willful citations. If you know that this is, doesn't exist and you and it needs to be done, mm-hmm. uh, there's certainly a, a consideration of willfulness to that. In my opinion, um, I just, I just. I think it needs to be done. I, I can't. Um, I think I'm going to have to let most of my clients. Know they, they need to at least consider this. I'm working with a client right now. I've got a new client. Uh, we haven't talked about this. We'll talk about it offline. But sure. I have a new client that I'm working with right now. We we walked through the facility, did the first that first visit, that initial visit. They've got a few. They've got some really interesting kind of one-off pieces of equipment that I've never seen before, and I've I thought I'd seen just about everything. Uh, some unique guarding challenges and and some injuries, mm-hmm. and so um, when I mentioned that that we were working together, that we were were familiar, and uh, I was you know becoming more aware of EAD's uh, capabilities in doing this, he said, yeah. "Bring them over." I mean, he wants to know how to guard this equipment, and I would think everybody would. Right? Are you guys as busy as you should be? I mean, yeah. I mean, are you getting busier? Or are people starting to things are yeah things are certainly picking up. Um, good. I mean, before you know, all the coronavirus stuff happened. We actually had, we were in the middle of some pretty big projects and those kind of, you know, thankfully kept going. So EAD's mostly been, you know, okay during all this. Um, but things, yeah, are starting yeah. to pick back up. We're getting a lot of requests for, um, not, not safety work specifically, but just other controls work, other mechanical and engineering work just in general, Terrific. um, between our clients locally and down in Memphis. So anything else you'd like to add? Uh, yeah. So, um, I actually, this refers to a question you had for me, um, during the Midwest safety cooperative meeting oh, yeah. last week, mm-hmm. you had asked about the new lockout tag out, um, the rule about if it's, you know, minor changes or mm-hmm. tweaks to a machine, if you have to lock it out versus, um, using a safeguard you can work under a safeguard. Yeah. So I was able to actually find that information and find the specific standard it comes from. Mm-hmm. It's an ANSI Z244 standard. Okay. Um, which is refers to alternative measures and OSHA um, 
it's refer, it's directly supported by OSHA um, in the OSHA minor servicing exception, mm-hmm. right? Is what it's called. So what it means is that if you have an alternate me, or alternate measure of safeguarding your machine, like a light curtain or something that is proven to be reliable and validated that it will stop the machine safely, then you can perform those minor tweaks or minor maintenance. Um, I think it says if it's routine, repetitive, and integral to right. machine operation, you're allowed to do that without doing a full lockout tackle. Right. And that's directly supported by OSHA and um, this ANSI standard. Okay, so then ANSI is referring to then what level of device you would need for that? or so or just, just a redundant, reliable device? Or The, the specific excerpt just says... Um, it says uh, alternative measures are allowed if they're routine, repetitive, integral to the use of the equipment for production, provided that the work is performed using alternative measures which provide effective protection. Okay. So and so you can determine then what effective protection would be. I mean, that's basically and, a well, reliability that, question. That yeah, that would ultimately come from risk assessment. So you know, if it's a suit, you know, like I said, super dangerous hazard, a pro- an effective protective measure would be one that meets the safety category that is required by that hazard. Okay. That, that is really important too. Um, that's something that we should probably reiterate because I, a lot of companies that I deal with, um, and good, well-intentioned companies, they will, they will use that, you know, that exception, you know, that routine, repetitive and integral Mm-hmm. Uh, exception under that's it's under uh, the lockout tagout standard 1910 yep. but I'm not sure that they have ever so basically what they're you're saying is I trip a light curtain and I can unjam a piece of equipment or I I trip an interlock and I can unjam a piece of equipment or I can adjust something it's part of production it's not actual service yep. but it is a routine adjustment that I make during production um, and I can do that under the protection of this alternative measure so the interlock or or the light curtain Mm-hmm. But so often you don't know whether those are reliable or not. Well, yeah. And so uh, that would be something we would be able to help with, too, that since is, at the end of that um, little excerpt with the whole you know alternative measures thing, it says um, the challenge of the machine designer and users determine what is a minor and what is routine, repetitive, integral. Right. If that, that's obviously subjective, it can be I mean, it can mean a lot subjective. of different things to different people. Mm-hmm. But then it says, you know, this can be covered during the risk assessment. So. The other advantage of doing the risk assessment is it's a you get a formal document. You're supposed to document it throughout mm-hmm. the whole process. So if you do your risk assessment and you document what can be classified as a minor or routine, um, you know, integral process or you know, uh, maintenance thing, mm-hmm. then it's documented, and you can actually you know take that, put it into a you know SOP, and now anything beyond that specific task, you know then falls into lockout tag out. So mm-hmm. it'll also kind of help with, you know, procedural things like that. Um, well, I, I'm not here to tell you how to do your business, but you need <laughs> to put that on the front page of your website. You know, well, that, we got something, you know, that, there, so you know, that, that routine out. repetitive and integral exception, people abuse that all the time. And, and so my advice to them is number one, make sure that you establish what your people are considering to be routine, repetitive and integral, because that takes on a life of its own in yep. most environments where I've been, you know, they might realize that they're doing one thing under that exception. And when you go out and ask the operators, they're doing a dozen things under that exception that may not actually qualify for that exception. So to do the risk assessment, to define what those things are and ensure that they do meet that definition and then establish that the, you know, the, the alternative 
measure that you're using is actually protective, that is mm. a huge thing. Everybody needs to have that verified for them. That's a big deal. Yeah. And I so, go back to the boss right now and tell him <laughs> to put that, that um, service that you offer yeah. on the website because that's, that's a big deal, man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Well, I mean, like I, I mean, said, we've got truly a, uh, is. everybody uh, does. Everybody has problems with that. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got a little, um, I guess you could call it like a brochure up on our website now, kind of detailing the services that services mm-hmm. that we would offer, um, machine safety wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that is a good point. Um, well, and I, I just, think, like I said, I found that information today. That's really fantastic, this, man. So. I appreciate that. So if people having heard all of this realize, oh gosh, you know, I need to call Tanner and get on his schedule. How do they, how do they, they get a hold of you? Website, email, what, what means do you want them to use? Well, so, I mean, if they just, you know, want generic contact information, they can get that from our website. It's got like a generic, I think, email, generic phone number. But then my specific email is, uh, it's my first name, Tanner, uh, T-A-N-N-E-R, uh, dot grieve, my last name, G-R-I-E-V-E, at E-A-D corporate spelled out all the way, uh, .com. EADcorporate.com. Yep. And what, what's the website? Is it just EAD? Uh, EADcorporate.com. That, and what about that? That is the website? That is the website, yep. So, so if they just wanted to go to the website, EADcorporate.com? Yep, correct. And then once okay. you're there, um, I you think... Probably just Google EAD and find it, or EAD engineering, or... Yeah, I think... I think if you Google just EAD, it kind of returns something weird. Okay. Um, but EAD. We don't, EAD okay, I don't no, want to do that. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, man. No, it's, it's perfectly it's, safe for work. Okay. But it's, I don't know. Okay. It's some other company. All right. Um, or maybe I think it might just be like some kind of acronym that means something else. Sure. But uh, if you type in EAD corporate or. Okay. I, th- I think that's. If you type well, that I, in, you'll certainly find it. And then um, when you get to the actual website, we have a banner. I at least we used to. I don't know if we took it down yet, but that specifically will link you to the um, safety services Fantastic. page. So. Okay. Um, we have a segment at the end of every episode where we talk about uh, things I can't live without. Okay. All right. Um, and I've had some incredibly interesting comments about that from other guests. And I'm, so I'm going to throw that out to you. Something I can't live without. And I guess that could be in your professional life, in your in your machine safety world, um, in your personal life, I guess maybe for what, whatever that might be. Maybe we don't want to go down that road, but um, is there anything that you find incredibly valuable as you do these risk assessments or as you're doing this work? Yeah. Tools or resources? So the thing I can't live without specifically as it pertains to uh, machine safety stuff would be there's a Rockwell publication called Safe Book 5. Um, I think that's the most recent one. Um, that's actually where I found that information as a, the about the alternative measures. Oh, so okay. what SafeBook Five is is it's kind of a condensed, super refined version of all the relevant safety standards. So each there's like five main ones that really pertain to machine safety, and each one's like 200 pages. Oh my! And they're wordy and awful and. I'm going to be honest, I haven't read them all the way through because this is why we pay you because <laughs> we don't want to read those. Well, so I have a, obviously have a basic understanding and your fundamental understanding rather of all those standards. But SafeBook 5 does a really good job of kind of reducing the wordiness of the standards. It kind of puts it into, you know, little bit bite sized pieces of information that are easy to understand how to actually apply them. They have a lot of ex- has a lot of examples in it. Um, and you can find it online for free. It's just like a PDF. Um, 
a P- you can get a PDF version for free. It's just a publication nice. on Rockwell's website. But everything in it, it walks through, um, you know, how you would actually calculate safety ratings, how to conduct a or guidelines for conducting a risk assessment, things to look for. Um, contains a lot of definitions and then. In general, it's just got a lot of really yeah. useful information that anytime I, you know, kind of come up short on something or can't quite remember a specific, you know, detail about mm. machine safety, I just go to that and it's got it in there. So nice. And the, so this is Rockwell Safe Book 5. Yep. Or and 5 is just the version, five, the five. latest incarnation of this. Yep. Uh, it's revision 5 of the Safe okay. Book series, according, nice. to, according to the cover. So very nice. I'm going to have to check that out, too. And, but this is exactly why we go to you. Right. Um, because it's those are, I mean, the regulations are complicated enough, but to get into these very specific uh, consensus standards and, mm-hmm. and guidance documents, and I mean, this is just this is why we have engineers. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you guys know this or not. I, I started out in engineering school, uh, lasted two years, and ran with my tail between my legs over <laughs> the College of Biological Sciences. Which, which is why I'm a biochemist at this point, you know, but uh, and an industrial hygienist, man, I, I, I have a lot of respect for what you guys do. And this is an incredibly valuable service. Um, I'm really glad you could come and join me today yeah. because um, certainly the folks here in Nebraska, I, I would assume that you would provide service just about anywhere if it's practical or if they're willing to pay for you. I mean, Oh yeah, yeah. Obviously I mean, you're down in Memphis and you're here in Nebraska and you're potentially down in North Carolina, but I mean, if someone in Iowa or Missouri or Kansas needed your services. Yeah. And I mean, it's another, I guess, now that we're talking about that, worth pointing out that we've done projects pretty much all over the country. Um, So we're definitely willing to travel. Um, Just, yeah, our offices are in Omaha and Memphis. So most of our work tends to be in those areas. Um, But like you said, Iowa, really anywhere in the Midwest, but we've also done projects out in California, Colorado. So um, that's fantastic. Yeah. But this is really incredible, man. I'm glad you could come and join me. Um, just scratch the surface of what you're doing, obviously. Yeah, there's uh, a lot and, of And it's very technical. And, uh, yep. you know, p- people like Pat and I really don't understand what you're talking about, <laughs> frankly. Well, so I was trying to stay out of the weeds. trying to stay out of the weeds a little bit with some of the, the technical stuff. But. I, I appreciate that, truthfully. And I thought I know, I know something about machine guarding. I, I just can't imagine how daunting this is for new companies or companies that really don't have uh, resources like mm-hmm. you guys. So yep. um, I'm really grateful that you would come and spend some time talking about it today. Yeah. Um, I hope we can talk about it again sometime. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we'll tell some stories or you can, you know, in a year you can come back and tell me some of the things you've seen over the, the past year and, yeah. you know, what employers should be looking out for. Yeah, I mean, there's it's, a lot more, definitely a lot more to talk about. Absolutely. So. It's really fantastic. Yeah. It's fascinating, actually. And uh very interesting. And I think uh, this is something I'm going to promote heavily to most of my clients because the vast majority of them um, need need that um, peace of mind. Yeah. Right. That they've done the right thing, that they've got it in place. Yeah. Peace of mind. And then also, you know, just to protect the company, protect your employees. And absolutely really important stuff. That's so. fantastic. Tanner, thanks very much, man. Yeah, thanks, um, Doug. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. I want to thank all of my sponsors, CCS Group. Nebraska Department of Labor, on-site consultation group, medical enterprises, and as always, Safety Reports. Steve Polich and the guys over at Safety Reports uh, help us out with this. I want to thank Pat and Jill. Uh, have a safe 4th of July, man. Um, Thanks, you, you got a lot of levers on that board over there. I don't want you blowing any fingers off. I know.
Uh, Everybody have a safe 4th of July. As a safety professional, I have to be honest, I don't love the 4th of July. I mean, I certainly love what it represents. Uh, I'm a very patriotic guy. I'm, you know, proud to be an American. But, man, the 4th of July scares the crap out of me. You know, I have a brother-in-law that is an ophthalmologist. And so between the two of us, we just tell horror stories all the time about the 4th of July. So (laughs) please be careful out there. Uh, focus on why we do this. Keep your mind, keep your eye on uh, why we're doing this. Focus on the why. Have a safe weekend, and I'll talk to you later. A Parkville Media Production.